This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome to another edition of Greg's List Live, your home for serious journalism only on AmericasWebRadio.com. Coming at you on a, on a Veterans Day and uh, excited to, to celebrate a big win for Georgia Republicans last week on Election Day as we swept to a huge, huge win. Um, got a great show lined up today. We have uh, Marine and Georgia um, Second Vice Chair Ron Johnson scheduled to call in around 2.15. We have uh, Barry Trout, a uh, Mensa member and uh, computer engineer, calling in around 2.30. We're going to talk about some of the uh, net neutrality issues. In fact, Barry is um, actually pro-net neutrality, and I've talked to him at length about the issue. And uh, it looks like it's it's a really interesting debate here. Um, normally, you would not want Obama in charge of regulating anything, as everything he has touched has uh, pretty much turned to feces, including the uh, Obamacare healthcare disaster. But uh, with the case of net neutrality, there is an interesting argument for it, and I welcome people to uh, instant message us and talk about it. I know there's probably a lot of folks that are against it. If you are against it, don't just be against it because Ted Cruz told you to do so. Um, there's a far more compelling reason to be against it rather than just listening to sound bites from some of our more vocal senators, which, by the way, Congratulations to the Republican Party. We took control of the United States Senate last Tuesday, which is very exciting stuff. There's a couple of races still pending. Alaska and uh, Louisiana is headed to a runoff, but it looks like the uh, Republicans are going to capture anywhere from seven to nine seats. I'd say they have to be heavily favored in Louisiana to defeat um, Mary Landrieu, who has just been a, a terrible senator for Louisiana and for the country, and she looks like she's headed to defeat in the runoff. Of course, it's important that we get everybody out to vote again in the runoff in, in Louisiana. And then Alaska is counting, I think it was 30,000 votes that were outstanding, and the um, Republican Senate candidate is up by about 8,000 right now, and there's actually a Republican governor candidate that was down by 3,000, I think. So Alaska obviously has a lot of rural areas, and it can take a week or up to two weeks sometimes to get all of those ballots in and get them counted because clearly in an election this close, every vote did count. Uh, sometimes in Alaska, the elections, there just aren't that many outstanding ballots, and the margin of victory exceeds that. But in this case, those races are both very close, so we may not hear, who knows, we may hear about the results on that one um, about the same time we get the, the Louisiana runoff. You never know, because if it continues to stay close and they continue to have, have trouble getting in some of the uh, the returns, then that's kind of the world we live in. And uh, Alaska, I guess, doesn't have the uh, electronic voting machines that a lot of other places do, so they still have to physically get them in. Uh, and then at 2.45, we have my friend Joe Pettit, who is the chairman of the Cobb County Young Republicans, called in about 2.45. We're going to be talking about some of the issues that uh, we think the Republican Party needs to address. Um, here in Georgia, the Republicans swept all of the constitutional offices, so we are returning Governor Deal. 
to uh, the governor's mansion on West Paces Ferry Road, as well as all the other officers, Richard Woods, a uh, frequent guest on this show, one state superintendent by uh, 57% to 43% over the Obama shill, Valerie Woods. So we wanted to congratulate him. I actually called him last week. He's very excited to get started. And I do, I feel optimistic that the superintendent now is going to have a, uh, a cordial enough relationship with the governor's office that we can actually make some progress, get things done, get Im- you know improve test scores, improve graduation rates. Um, they may not agree on Common Core exactly. Um, Common Core, clearly the, the, the main reason a lot of folks are against it is because it came with ties to the feds. The feds tied their their little hands in there with Common Core with Race to the Top funds, which most states accepted because, frankly, they needed them. During the uh, the recession, a lot of states were having to cut budgets, and education happened to be one that, and, you know, it's 54% of the state budget, so it was one of the ones that was cut. Last year, the governor did increase education funding by $549 million, which was the largest increase in uh, more than 50 years in education as far as the percentage. So we are doing something right. We are headed in the right direction. I'm glad the voters gave the Republicans here in Georgia one more chance, one more chance to, to continue improving the state. The, uh, the the Port of Savannah deepening has been approved. I expect that to add to the GDP growth in the in the coming years. The governor's also made pretty good progress in criminal justice reform. We are, I believe, six in net job creation and uh, a lot of good success stories out there. When you look at the um, the Tuesday election, actually, we the Republicans not only swept in Georgia, but really swept nationwide. And a lot of the folks are blaming the Democrats for not turning out. But I think we need to applaud the Republicans. The Republicans showed that we do have technology, that we are willing to put out a ground game, that we are willing to talk to people about the issues and not try to, to racially divide people. The Democrats have a habit of that. It's called identity politics. It was illustrated to uh, an obscene level when they mailed out this Ferguson mailer during this election, which I think if they look back at the numbers, they're going to see that that alienated a lot of white voters. The Democrats seem to be not concerned about white voters, and they are kowtowing to, to the minority vote. And what happens when you do that is you end up alienating everybody. The Ferguson mailer was offensive to almost everybody that saw it. I'm sure that had something to do with limiting the African-American turnout at the polls. They were thinking, why am I going to go support a a state party that puts out crap like this? But uh, anyway, sorry, I got a little little cold here. But uh, clearly the leaves are turning into peak foliage right now here. It's almost distracting to drive up and down the roads. A lot of Veterans Day parades are going on right now. Um, As I mentioned, we do have uh, Ron Johnson calling in. One of the the ancillary benefits of the the Republicans winning the Senate is Georgia's own Johnny Isaacson, uh, two-term senator who's now announced that he's running for a third term. He is actually going to be chairman of the Veterans Affairs Committee coming up next year. So If you look at that, you can really look and see opportunities 
for Republicans to lead on a lot of the pressing issues, a lot of the scandals that we've seen from the Obama administration. <clears throat> when you look at the care that our veterans have been getting or lack of, and you consider that, that inmates and illegals often get better care, it's pretty appalling. If the feds won't lead, then, then, then Georgia needs to find a way to lead. We're expecting higher tax revenues next year as the economy continues to grow. And I would ask our Georgia legislator, legislature and our governor to look at using some of the extra funds as a backstop for the VA hospitals here in Georgia. There's one about a half mile from my house on Claremont Road, and I know there are several around the state. And to me, instead of investing this money in, in, in somewhat risky projects, why don't we give that money and set up a program to act as a, as a, a co-funding mechanism, if you will, to backstop some of these hospitals here? Because we owe it to these veterans. You know, less than 1% of the United States population now has actually served in active combat duty. So when our brave men and women come back, we owe it to them to give them quality care, continuing care, and affordable care for when they leave the service. And I think it's our responsibility as Georgians and as Americans to make sure that the VA hospitals and the Veterans Affairs Committees are adequately funded because we are having a lot of heroes returning home now. We need to get them in the workforce. I encourage any small business owner to please take a look at hiring a veteran. I mean, they, they've clearly proven that they can work in extreme circumstances. Um, anyone that's been honorably discharged has shown that they'll show up on time and, and, and make sure they do a good job. They also clearly learn a lot of skills. I can imagine uh, a lot of mechanic skills, a lot of computer training, uh, technical skills, medical skills, a litany of skills from our veterans that they've been learning in the armed forces. And now that we're pulling out of some of the theaters, or on paper we are anyway, it's time to get, get them employed in the real world. By doing so, we need to make sure that things like the, the Veteran Affairs Committees and the VA hospitals and other outreach programs are properly funded. So again, I, and I encourage the Republican Senate now to, to take on bipartisan leg, uh, legislation that will improve this. As I challenge the leaders here in Georgia to prioritize it this session, not, not push it off any. The veterans need help now, and what better time to do it than on Veterans Day? I um, was able to put together a little projection sheet uh, last um, Monday before the election. I like to make predictions as far as elections go, and I uh, I had predicted to several folks that the uh, the top of the Republican ticket would would win without a runoff, even though that was against some of the. Uh, the, the, the common prevailing thought was that, oh, you know, at least the Senate race is headed to a runoff. The governor might be able to squeak one out. But it turns out that Republicans won by heavy margins. I had predicted uh, a 52 to 45 margin for uh, 
no, 53 to 44 margin for Governor Deal with the Libertarian getting 3%. The Libertarian ended up getting 2.4%. But in political terms, 2.4 is rounded up to 3. So that was pretty dead on. And then I predicted David Perdue winning 52% to 46% for Michelle Nunn and the Libertarian getting um, 2% in that one. And that turned out to be a little off. I gave Nunn way too much credit. She only got 45% of the vote. So we woke up. On November 5th, with Senator-elect David Perdue and the second term for Governor Deal. And to me, that was a great victory for the Republican Party. But now, instead of gloating or spiking the football or telling the Democrats how bad they are, it is time for us to lead. And as I mentioned, Veterans Day, funding the, the Veteran Affairs, funding the VA hospitals... Is an important step. It should be a bipartisan measure. Shouldn't have any problem getting through both houses and the Senate. And if Obama vetoes something against the troops, then I think that that talk of impeachment may just circle back around. Dave, do you want to take our break here? Or how are you doing, sir? Happy Veterans Day to you. You're a, a, a veteran of the uh, the U.S. Army, so wanted to wish yep. you a happy Veterans well, Day, thank sir. You. Thank you, sir. <coughs> we. Uh, you know, I put out the thing today that every day should be Veterans Day. Not, not certainly not for what I contributed, but uh, so many others that have contributed so much more. And uh, there, there should not be a, a VA problem. There should not be a um, any kind of problem when it comes to a uh, someone that served. And uh, we have uh, family serving. We have a history of of service and. Uh, it's our country, folks, and you got to take care of it. And uh, we'll take that break and be back on Greg's list right after this. This is Dr. George from Peachtree Ear, Nose, and Throat Center. Do you have problems with sinus pain and pressure? Do other people smell things that you don't? Have you lost the joy in eating because food just doesn't taste like it used to? Is your nose always stuffy no matter what you do? Maybe you have sinus or nasal polyps, a chronic sinus infection, or allergies that are either undertreated or have never been treated at all. At Peachtree ENT Center, we use state-of-the-art equipment so you can see the problem. You'll be a partner in your care, and together we will decide the course of treatment, because we believe in old-fashioned medicine, where we take the time to fix the problem, not just medicate the symptoms. We specialize in minimally invasive balloon dilation sinus surgery, correction of a nasal septal deviation, and turbinate reduction surgery that can be done in the office, getting you back to work the next day. And you can rest assured that all options will be discussed before surgery is recommended because Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. If you'd like to make an appointment, call 404-591-9100 or reach us on the web at www.peachtreeentcenter.com. Do your children know where their food comes from? At ConnectingFarmToFork.com, there's all kinds of ways to help your child understand how 300 million of us here in America stay nourished, clothed, and healthy. Activities, food facts, and farm visits help young people learn about America's hardworking farmers and have lots of fun doing it. Visit ConnectingFarmToFork.com today for a learning experience that will really grow on you. ConnectingFarmToFork.com, brought to you by the people who care at Feedstuff's Food Link. Quick Stakes. 
That's Q-U-I-K Steaks are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quicksteak.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Steaks. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Steaks, Q-U-I-K Steaks, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome back to Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism only on America's Webradio.com. Wanted to give a warm welcome to our friend Ron Johnson, who's been a, a frequent guest on the show before and a Marine and second uh, vice chair of the Georgia GOP. Ron, welcome to Greg's List and uh, happy Veterans Day to you. Well, thank you. How are you doing today, Greg? Man, you know, after last week, um, you know, but no Republican in Georgia can be doing bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I agree with you. You know, we took a long-time congressional seat that has been a, a sort of, for lack of better words, a target for years. And, and we actually took the 12th congressional district finally, and we did it with a lot of hard work. Well, no, I mean, you know, obviously John Barrow had been uh, happy to move around from um, uh, area to area in uh, in Georgia, and we finally retired him with Rick Allen. And I know that that was a huge goal of the state party, and uh, what you and John Padgett and Michael McNeely have been doing for this uh, this past two years has been, you know, nothing short of remarkable. Especially with implementing the ground game that uh, that we put in that combined with the technology. And I know we had some help from the RNC, but it still was a decision from the state party to uh, to move forward with that. And that's something that we hadn't done in the past, so that was kind of a new thing. Right, and we actually went down there, and um, I, I was in Candler County, and we reorganized the Republican Party in Candler County, and then um, Mike, oh no, it was John that went to Screven County, John and Brad Hughes, and reorganized that county there, which were all in the, you know, those counties were in the 12th District. So we, we concentrated on getting him unelected, retiring him. But, you know, last night I heard he's moving back to Athens. Oh, yeah, no, his house was up for sale already. The AJC was quick to catch that, and uh, apparently he was just kind of visiting Augusta. <laughs> yeah, he, he's moved like three times, I guess, every time that his district was moved, he moved into it. Yeah, I, I mean, it's almost like every two years it was uh, jobs created for the real estate industry. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I did want to wish you a happy Veterans Day. David, uh, the uh, producer of the sh- uh, uh, station owner, is also a veteran. And um, I, uh, I got to say, with this, with the Republicans taking the Senate, uh, are we finally going to be able to get something done with the Veterans Affairs and the VA hospitals? Well, the good thing about that is Johnny Isaacson's been really um, active in that, and he's on that, that Veterans Committee for the Senate. But now he'll be the chair of it, which will give him a little more power to get some things done. He's actually held Senate uh, hearings at the VA hospital here in, in the Atlanta area. That's one of his big subjects. That, you know, I have a radio show, and um, I interviewed him uh, on Thursday, last Thursday, and he said the first thing the Senate wants to do is the Keystone Pipeline, and he said the first thing he wants to do is to straighten out the VA. 
So maybe we finally have a, a stronger voice there with the, the man being the chair that has actually been very involved in it. I know he's helped uh, family members of mine a couple times, getting their records for them. We, you know, bypassed the bureaucracy, and he was able to get their records that they needed, one being my dad and another being my uncle. And then I know we had a, um, a judge here in Jackson County that needed her grandfather's records, and he took care of that. We had recently a young lady who has a um, leukemia, and she wasn't getting any answers out of the VA, and we got a hold of his gal there, um, Sheila, and she took care of that problem, too. So he's been really, really working on stuff like that. Yeah, and one of the things I pointed out this morning was, you know, obviously we want to make sure that we thank a veteran and uh, for their service. And also David mentioned that every day should actually be Veterans Day because it truly is the 1% of the population has actually served active duty now. And so I, I just think it's uh, appalling that uh, inmates and illegals get better health care than our returning heroes. Um, I mean, I, I'm sure you feel the same. Um, if the feds aren't going to lead, although I do have faith that Senator Isaac Senator be able to get some stuff through. We had talked a few months ago about some opportunities where Georgia could perhaps um, at least help provide some backstop funding to the VA hospitals here. Can we talk about that for a second? Yeah, I, I think we can. Uh, you know, there's, um, there's an ability for veterans to actually go to their local hospitals, and I think that's something probably we need to do more. I, I, I've... Uh, talk to Johnny about possibly doing away with veterans hospitals uh, altogether. I mean, they're a big burden on, on us financially and they don't really do the job and if we could get these veterans into something similar, I'm retired from the, the Marine Corps, so I have TRICARE and if we could get a veteran system set up like TRICARE it would be a much better system for the veterans and will cost us a whole lot less money. And it's in Georgia, well, the southeast, it is run by Humana now. Um, the TRICARE is not run by the government. It's funded. But it's run by healthcare people, which which actually they can communicate with stuff going on with the right. hospitals and all that. And you can go to any doctor. You can go to any hospital. I mean, they're all in the system. And so it, it almost it almost sounds like it's it could be like a voucher where the feds will still send Georgia money, but we get to decide how to use that money. Right. It, it's a it's a great system. The the um, the Tricare is a great system, and and once our government wakes up to the fact that that is a great system, let's put the veterans in there. They could actually. You know, put them in there and be a whole lot cheaper than running all these hospitals because they got these hospitals all over the country and none of them work right, Craig. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we're seeing these horrible waiting lists. Um, and, and actually, I mean, I think they were uh, hiding patient records. Um, veterans were coming uh, back and needing treatment and not and going six months. And, and you and I know that, uh, unfortunately, one of the, the worst um, afflictions for our veterans is PTSD. They come home and it's, you know, they, they have, it used to be called shell shock. And now we've got fancy scientific jargon for it. But it's still, it's a very um, trying time for when they come home. And unfortunately, 
unfortunately, the biggest cause of death is is soldier suicides, and that's something that we absolutely have uh, a, a compelling reason and a compelling mission to help protect their lives when they get home. Exactly, and it's not only you know when we talk about suicide, it's not only suicide by themselves killing themselves it's also suicide by alcohol or drugs Mm -hmm. these guys and gals now do you know we have more homeless female veterans now than ever before in history yeah, I mean that's a fact. That's I mean you just you, we just don't hear things like that. It gets swept under the rug by the Obama administration, and uh, I just I don't think they the the veterans have a very powerful lobby. But now with the Republicans in control of the Senate, I am very optimistic that we'll finally see some some movement uh, and improvement there. Well, I, and I really I I really have faith in um, Senator Isaacson. I I know what he's done for myself and other people that I've sent to him, he's got a great VA staff over there in his office, and they concentrate on taking care of the veterans, and now that he's going to be the chair of that, I know we're going to get more done with that. We will also be the um, the, the majority party on that, um, on that Senate committee, and, you know, maybe we're going to see something done. I stay up on top of that. I'm, I'm very mindful of, of how veterans aren't taken care of. I had a neighbor who, who's since passed away where the VA hospital didn't take care of him. Um, and and he, he, you know, eventually died. He couldn't get appointments. I mean, I just, it, it's horrible. I went to the VA hospital once in my lifetime. When I retired, I went there because they, require you to i went there got all checked out and all that and they 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 told me oh you could come back anytime and all that i never went back and i never will i i have tricare like i said and i had a different policy to take up for what tricare didn't do i would i wouldn't go to the va hospital i just wouldn't I, i i don't think they're clean um and i don't think they care about the veterans yeah, Even and, though that's their job. Well, I mean, and unfortunately, they they have major staffing problems, which of course the Democrats will try to blame the Republicans for trying to sequester funds. But we all know that's a shell game. Um, and, and the point is, is if the Feds won't lead, then I think that that Georgia, being the strong Republican state, and we just proved that again this past week, that that we have a a, a compelling interest to lead. Um, now, what do you think uh, the role that now that uh, you? know we've won the election governors in there for four years as well as the other constitutional officers what do you think the state party should be concentrating on in i guess it could be termed an off season (laughs) coming up well you know we're going into our convention period so you know we're concentrating on on getting that set up it's going to be in athens um and right after that we'll be going right into the presidential um you know, elections and mm-hmm. primaries and stuff like that. I mean, these guys and gals are going to be running to Iowa real soon. <laughs> I mean, some of them have already been there, and and they're going to be wanting to come to Georgia. I'm I'm hoping we get a very good speaker at the convention. We're looking at that. Um, I, I and I told you today, I'm not going to run for uh, the position I had. I'm going to run for a different position in the party. 
And um, yeah, is that is that? Can you denounce that yet? Or oh yeah, okay. I've already sent out an email. I'm not I'm not going to run for the second vice chair. We have chairman of um, the over eighty thousand population counties and the under eighty thousand population county, and you have to be a county chair to run for that position. And I'm going to run for I'm the Jackson County chair, and I'm going to run for the under eighty. Um, chair position. Okay, well that's great. And you said I think there was 112 of those There's counties. 112 counties that are organized that are under 80,000 and there's a few that still aren't organized and that's going to be one of my goals is to get those few that aren't organized, organized as the under 80 chair. We've never really had a voice there. Um, I know Joe D- Dendy at, at one time was the over 80 chair mm-hmm. and he he was a, a a voice, but he's got a different position now, right. and he's not. You just don't hear from these people. Well, you know, I, I'm a very impressed with that job uh, description for you. I know you'll do very well with that. And Ron, again, thank you for your service. Happy Veterans Day, and uh, I really look forward to to seeing the great things we get done this next year with some of these new projects. One one last thing, I'd like to say happy belated birthday to my fellow Marines out there. Hurrah! <laughs> and uh, happy Veterans Day to all the vets. All right, we appreciate it. That was uh, Georgia's second vice chair, Ron Johnson. We've got uh, Barry Trout calling in next. We're going to be talking about net neutrality. See you in a couple minutes on Greg's List. This is Dr. Susan Blank, Medical Director for the Atlanta Healing Center. Our team is able to offer a multitude of treatment options, such as quantitative EEG, also known as brain mapping, hormonal and nutritional assessments, neuropsychological testing, and cognitive therapy, along with traditional 12-step facilitation. And we can even even offer you, if appropriate, a gentle medically managed detox. Please contact us at 770-696-9862. This is Denise Simon. 18 hours a day, I live in a world as an intelligence analyst. What I find is reprehensible, what I find is terrifying, what I find is treasonous. The mainstream media has completely failed the American people. So join me for the Denise Simon Experience every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. 
Welcome back to Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism only on America's Web Radio.com. We've had a, uh, a big issue come up called net neutrality, which had been around about three or four years ago, and it kind of faded off in the distance, but it's uh, reemerged. President Obama came out uh, strongly supporting it, and um, it gets a lot of interesting feedback. I have with me uh, my friend Barry Trout, who's an engineer, also a uh, member of Mensa, very smart guy who is pro net neutrality as well as um, there's a lot of other folks that I've seen that typically are limited government fans but are pro this and I wanted to get Barry on the show so we could kind of explain reasons why somebody may be for this even if it may look like on paper like it's a government intrusion into a utility. Anyway, Barry, welcome to the show. How are you today? Doing good. Thanks, Greg. Hey, and I appreciate uh, yeah, I appreciate you, uh, you calling in. I um, uh, this net neutrality, I remember me and you had a pretty long discussion over a couple of beers. It must have been two or three years ago, and you had told me at the time that if we wanted the Internet the way it was now, that we needed to support net neutrality. So can you talk about that for a couple minutes? Yeah, definitely. This, this did come up a few years ago. Verizon was really uh, driving it. And net neutrality is the way the Internet uh, worked from day one. So uh, some people are concerned about this is some government takeover of the Internet, and, and it's not. It's really how the Internet has worked uh, up until recently. And so all of the innovation, all of the things that you've seen from the Internet have come with net neutrality. And uh, what it really means uh, from a, a technical perspective is that the Internet service provider has to connect you to whatever website you link to uh, at the same speed and performance as any other website you link to. So, um, so to sort of put this as uh, comparing with a phone, it's like if you were going to call for a pizza, you were going to call Domino's and Pizza Hut. It's when you call them, both of them it rings immediately. And what uh, would be really good for the phone company is if you call Domino's and it rings immediately, and you call Pizza Hut. And it's like, well, it has to ring about 20 times before it rings once at Pizza Hut. And the reason for that is Domino's paid the phone company to make it ring through immediately. And therefore, Pizza Hut loses business uh, unless they pay the phone company, too. So if the phone company can determine the quality of your calls or how fast your calls are through or things like that, they can really um, get more money from the businesses that uh, you're calling. Well, that's what's happening with the Internet, and that's what net neutrality is, is basically it's whenever you go to one website versus another website, the way it's been so far is they have to connect you equally. And the reason this has come up um, again is there was a uh, court ruling earlier this year that said the Federal Communications Commission, which had been requiring Internet service providers to operate under net neutrality rules, um, they didn't have a legal authority to do that. And so the Internet service providers can now literally uh, determine how fast a connection is. If you, let's say you want to watch something on Hulu or Netflix, and they have a partnership with Hulu, they can make Netflix be really slow uh, unless Netflix pays them money. And, and Netflix actually is paying money in some cases so that the Internet service provider won't throttle their... Uh, huh. Performance down, so it doesn't work. So, so, so it's and, like it's like uh, on, so, online extortion almost. Uh, yes, it is, and so it's great if you're a cable company or a phone company because you're getting money 
from those businesses uh, in order to basically uh, you know, have, have the service work. And until now, they couldn't do that. But because the court ruling, the court ruling said, you know, hey, the FCC doesn't have the legal authority to do that. And this is why Obama has this thing where he said, okay, we're going to make them a common carrier. And what that really means is it's going to be like your phone line. So the phone company can't say, if you call Domino's, you're getting through on the first ring, and if you call Pizza Hut, it's going to ring 20 times before they hear it once at Pizza Hut. They can't legally do that. And that's what this is about on net neutrality, is, is keeping that the same way on the Internet. Yeah, because Comcast, I know, had been in a little bit of trouble. And for most of the people in Georgia, we have either Charter or Comcast here. I guess the problem is we don't – the consumer really doesn't have a whole lot of choice uh, as far as Internet service pro- provider because of the monopolies from the cable. Now, I guess they could get uh, UVerse from AT&T, um, but I, I basically have a choice between Comcast or – AT&T or maybe direct TV, so I don't have a whole lot of sh- comparison shopping that I could do. Well, you really only have two, and, and not to knock direct TV, or, or actually direct PC would be the equivalent internet version of it, but you really only have two. You have the phone, whoever your phone provider is, and whoever your cable provider is, and the reason for it, and this is going to become more important um, as time goes on, and that time isn't very long, uh, is because you need a wire and a pipe into your house. You need a fiber optic cable to have a high bandwidth signal. So people who watch uh, TV over the Internet, uh, it's like right now, let's say you have the 4K TVs, the high, high definition, beyond high definition. That's going to quickly become like 8K, 16K uh, in the next few years. I mean, it's going to happen quickly. And that requires a lot of bandwidth. And you can't get that through a wireless connection. It's just... You have physics involved that say if you have a, an optical pipe, you can get a higher bandwidth through than you can wirelessly. So um, as you get higher definition TV, uh, better signals, you require more bandwidth, and, and really your only options are the phone company or the cable company. And both of them want to do the same thing and basically charging the businesses. Uh, and also on, on uh, your end, I mean, one of the things that could happen is that it's sold like cable TV, where you buy a package, you get basic internet, and then it's like, oh, you want the social networking package that includes Twitter and Facebook. That's an extra $10 a month. Oh, you want the news package that's got Fox News, CNN, whatever. That's an extra $10 a month. So it's, you know, you, you could see that happening because hmm. now the cable companies could basically either ratchet down the performance or cut it off. Unless you have net neutrality, it says you buy the bandwidth. And then where you go and how you use it is up to you. Well, the phones, you know, the smartphones, basically, if you have an unlimited plan, chances are it's not truly unlimited. I found that out a couple NCAA tournaments ago when I was watching some of the games, uh, basketball tournaments with my phone, and I went over my three-gig limit, and they sent me back to uh, a carrier that I think was using Pony Express to uh, get online. (laughs) It was, 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 I was literally, like, hearing them gallop around, but uh, so I, my unlimited quickly disappeared when I went over that limit. So I guess people that use a lot of uh, Netflix and Hulu and are live streaming things, that has got to really use a lot more bandwidth than somebody that's just even on Facebook or Twitter, right? It, it does, and that's one of the arguments that the cable and phone, the internet service providers are saying, well, hey, Netflix uses more bandwidth, so they um, or Netflix should have to pay more for our network or whatever. 
but realistically, think about it as a consumer. When you buy Internet service, if you're going to watch that, you're going to watch that and you want to see the HIDAP or whatever, and you're going to watch Netflix a lot, you're going to get the you know, 100 megabyte a second uh, plan rather than the 5 megabyte a second plan. So you're already paying for that to your Internet service provider. You're already making a decision that says, okay, I, I want more bandwidth um, so that I can watch Netflix. But this would be like saying you could have the 100 megabyte per second plan and it could have all the bandwidth you need, but then Verizon can say, oh, I'm only going to let 2 megabytes per second go through because Netflix hasn't paid me to, uh, to do that. Well, I, I got a comment here from a friend, uh, John Bush, the uh, president of a AYR. He he said, because I asked people to chime in here to, to talk uh, against net neutrality, and he said a uh, way to think of it is net neutrality is the government seizing control of the cables and then giving them to another business. Uh, what do you say to that? I, I would definitely say that's not true. It's uh, Sorry, John. It's, uh, it, I mean... No more than the government um, has seized control of the phone lines and has given them to another another company. It's mm -hmm. basically the the internet. You, you get it through your phone line or your cable line now, so it's not like they're seizing that line. The phone and cable companies are already using a line that they have into your house. What it's doing is it's saying, um, and you also have to realize this is sort of a monopoly or a duopoly. And so you've got to have some regulation to prevent abuses. And we have had that until recently when there was this court decision, which is one of the things that makes this very confusing because people think, oh, this is changing. This is the government take over the internet. This is, is doing something different when it's really not. It's really saying, let's go back to what we've done since the internet was formed by Al Gore years ago um, <laughs> until this court ruling earlier this year and get back to that rather than let the cable companies and phone companies and internet service providers start um, you know, doing blackmail and telling businesses, okay, if you don't pay us money, we're going to ratchet down your service or not let people connect or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm kind of torn on this issue because I, I don't think of the internet as a, uh, as a utility like the power company necessarily because... I think you can have more players in the internet. You can't really go around and lay new lines of power. You almost have to do what they did with like the gas lines and deregulate it, but they keep AGL, but then just let the other ones rent it out and ask as, act as marketers. Is that what we would have to do on uh, for as far as the internet? Because right now, like you like you said, I only have two choices: my phone line yeah. or uh, Comcast. Now I do have T-Mobile as my provider, and I can. I mean, I clearly don't want to be watching um, you know Netflix all day on that because, as we mentioned, my uh, service goes back to Pony Express levels. But um, okay, so is that something that would be? Uh, Kind of a 50-50 meet, meet in the middle? Well, you're, you're, you're really not going to have more competition. I, I don't know, like, years and years in the future if there's going to be some possibility. I mean, whatever the, the, the line going into your house, just based on physics and science, it's going to have more bandwidth than anything that's, that's wireless, no matter right. how it is. So, it's, I mean, that's just, you can't beat physics. Um, so you're really not going to have additional competitive choices beyond those two lines. I mean, this really is very similar to uh, power. I mean, that's another way to think about so it. You, like you, so you basically, you're paying a certain amount for power, and you right. can use so, it. So, this, you so, use you, it you so, wanna, so you would say um, that the Internet needs, we, we need to evolve? Some 
run the air conditioner at, at uh, 60 degrees in right. the summer, all summer you can do that. And the power company can't say, well, you know, we're going to charge you more because you're using air conditioning rather than using, you know, lights and well, refrigeration. Well, that that that's, that's, that's an interesting analogy, and that's uh, something that uh, I think we're going to have a lot more debate and talk about as far as uh, do we look at the Internet as a benevolent monopoly that, that requires government regulation, or are we going to let kind of the Wild West apply? I, anyway, I appreciate you calling. In. I, I think I'm going to set up a panel discussion on this uh, next time because as this uh, gets back in the news cycle, I think a lot of people are going to have a lot of educated opinions and I appreciate you calling in today. We'll uh, chat with you soon and be back with Joe Pettit from the Cobb YRs in a couple minutes on Greg's List. In 2009, the membership organization Docs for Patient Care was founded. People all around the country wanted to participate in the efforts of this group, and they wanted to join, but they were unable to do so unless they were physicians. It's for this reason that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation was created. Now, everyone can join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. While you're at your computer, please go to www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org and make a tax-deductible donation and join the fight along with us. Thank you. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism only on AmericasWebRadio.com. Just finished up a, a really interesting segment with uh, my friend Barry Trout, who is pro-net neutrality and a uh, very complicated issue. I uh, got some good feedback from some listeners on there. I think I may set up a panel discussion on that later because it does – I don't think people should oppose net neutrality just because Ted Cruz tells them to do so. Um, anyway, joining us right now is uh, my friend Joe Pettit, who's the chairman of the Cobb yep. – Cobb County Young Republicans. Joe, welcome back to Greg's List. How are you today? I'm doing all right, Greg, and I'll be the uh, the chair for of Cobb Wires for at least a few more hours. Well, that's why I wanted to get you on. And in your final <laughs> in your final six hours as the uh, outgoing chair, I too will be the outgoing chair of the Buckhead Young Republicans, riding off in the sunset next Tuesday. So we're uh, uh, Giddy up. brothers in arms, so to speak. <laughs> but uh, anyway, you did a great job with the Cobb IRs. Y'all have your meeting tonight, uh, 7 p.m. Johnny McCrackens with Cobb uh, County Commission Chair uh, Tim Lee, I believe. Am I yes, right? Sir. Well, cool. 
Looks like I read my notes properly. <laughs> you did read your notes properly. It's uh, you did a good job. Well, I I'm um, proud of you. Joe is on the elections board in Cobb County, and I called him uh, last week to get some early intel on the uh, the early voting, which, uh, you know, and when I see the, the Democrats complaining about voter suppression this time in Georgia, I'm like, y'all had a damn month to vote, so I don't want to hear uh, a lick yeah, of Yeah, I mean, <laughs> um, you know, we, we had seven, in, in Cobb County, we had seven um, early voting uh, uh uh, Precincts places open. Okay, and for the Saturday we had um, four of them open. Three, you know, one in one in East Cobb, one uh, just outside downtown Marietta, one in West Cobb, and one in South Cobb. So we bisected the the county, and then we also had one down in South Cobb. So I don't think that there's any way you could say there wasn't ample opportunity to vote. Um, and uh, I mean, on on top of on top of that, uh, you know, you don't have to have a reason to request an absentee ballot. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, I I'm a traditionalist. I go on this thing called election day because it's called election day. It takes me about five minutes to do it. I get to be part of this great republic that we have and engage in some good old fashioned democracy. I, m- my parents actually early voted. They live in East Cobb, so I I'm happy to to have people as many people vote. But um, you know, this past election cycle, I, it was really the gall of the Democrats to, to send out their you know racially divisive mailers and the whole time complaining about voter suppression when we really have had what at least four weeks of solid monday through friday voting saturday voting sunday voting and then all seven to seven on tuesday so i just i I was just flabbergasted that they were still complaining about that and um you know i I, clearly the results showed that uh, the republicans did something right this year no no absolutely and you know like we've like the point is, has been has been made, there's plenty of time for everybody to to drum up their base and get them out to vote. And the Republicans clearly did that this time. Um, the the last couple presidential cycles, uh, you know, the Democrats have definitely done a better job than the Republicans nationwide. But uh, there was definitely a groundswell, especially when you consider um, states like Illinois and Massachusetts having Republican governors now. Yeah, Maryland as well. I mean, just uh, very blue states doing it. I um, I was wondering this. I'm, I'm in, in the middle of writing a piece about this. The Republicans, we really had a, a hyper-competitive election here. We had seven or eight uh, candidates for U.S. Senate. Do you think the number of candidates we had actually helped turn out because each one of those candidates kind of had a little niche audience and, and we were able to kind of corral everybody and get them out on election day, but we reached segments that maybe we wouldn't have if we didn't have the volume of uh, candidates? Well, you know, I, I think that very well may be the case, and um, it's not something that I was expecting uh, as kind of, you know, guys like you and I are kind of inside baseball type of type of, uh, type of political um, observers, and, you know, you, you see the, we see the division, but I think, you know, when you talk to people like our parents who are just, you know, Cobb County voters that aren't necessarily um, aren't necessarily in the game all the time paying attention and saying, oh, but this supporter doesn't like, you know, that candidate anymore and all that kind of stuff, uh, I think that the voters 
were happy with the options that they had. Yeah, nobody can complain that, oh, I just didn't find a candidate I could vote for. Basically, you kind of had a smorgasbord. You, you had a golden corral buffet of of candidates. and You get anything that you wanted. Yeah. A 20 year, uh, 20 year congressman to a, uh, to, I believe, a, a preacher that had been in prison before. <laughs> yeah, don't talk about my dad like that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was an exciting race. And also, you look down at the congressional races um, in, in District 10 where Jody Heiss ended up winning. There were seven there. Where you're at in Cobb County, we had six on the ballot. And I think that literally every one of those uh, competitive races brought some level of interest out in Republicans. Because, you know, clearly in the 11th, when you had Trisha Pridemore, Ed Lindsay, Bob Barr, and Barry Loudermilk, they... That was a pretty big turnout, and um, you know, even though uh, uh, Loudermilk wasn't running a post, he had there was still enough interest ginned up by that two-year cycle that I think that really turned out the vote in Cobb County. No, absolutely, absolutely, and and like you said, this was a two-year cycle. It wasn't like um, it wasn't like, uh, especially for the Republicans, it was a two-year cycle. Wasn't like we could you could pretend you didn't know something was going on. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you were, if you had any kind of Republican primary voting record, you were going to get contacted and contacted and contacted for, you know, better part of a year and a half. Yeah. And, um, you know, I know people get tired of the ads, but at some point you, you had to look at the raw numbers. And, um, and when I was, uh, last Tuesday, I didn't do the show. I went, uh, to the DeKalb GOP office and we were getting the final get out the vote calls. And by about four, almost everybody we were talking to at that point had already voted and we were getting some good numbers from Gwinnett. And, uh, you know, I went in that night feeling pretty good. And, uh, you know, I predicted no runoffs for the top of the ticket. And really, we won every race, um, really by a, a large margin. What do you attribute that to? I know Cobb had a very good uh, uh, RNC presence there as well as the state party victory team. Uh, is that the? Do you think that ground game is going to stick around or do you think we're going to get complacent? Uh, you know, I, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back up on your question just a little bit because I was not nearly as, as confident as you were. And um, <laughs> I, I just... I didn't see how there was any way, um, how there was any way that this year could end so smoothly. <laughs> <laughs> and about uh, about an hour before the news station started calling the governor's race and the Senate race, um, I looked and saw that the the, the the lead was still you know fifty seven fifty eight percent in both those races. And what I realized was that there was a three hundred thousand vote gap (laughs) and I was like wait a minute this thing I'm not going to get my hopes up until it's called but this thing could be over tonight and uh, and it was um, in terms of the RNC in terms of the RNC uh, presence I don't know I don't know if they will stick around I think that they should I think that they you know they may not need to keep keep the offices as, as well staffed as they as they have been right but uh you know they 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 should start preparing for for uh 2016 and making sure that uh you know the 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 voters who are going to vote in 2016 are identified and 
that their issues are identified and that, you know, once once it comes down to the general election, we can really target again. Well, you know what, the the same dynamic may present itself this next time around. I mean, the Democrats, I think they, uh, you know, they had these vacuous coronations for both the governor and Senate, and um, really that uh, left their candidates not necessarily unvetted, but certainly unprepared for, um, you know, the, the rigorous battle, and also just a lot of, okay, we got to get these people out in front, while the other, our Senate candidates had been out in front for two years, basically. Um the uh, the the real question is Georgia. A lot of people are predicting us to be a battleground state in the next couple of years. I think this election actually hurt the Democrats. They uh, they did such a poor job closing the deal. They they were fading faster than the Alaskan sun in December. And these candidates, you know, Isaacson basically announced he's running again. So there's not going to be this open Senate seat. So basically, it's going to be the president. And Georgia, I think, is talking about moving their primary up to make it uh, kind of an SEC style primary. The question is whether the Democrats are going to have just Hillary Clinton and, and try to you know wipe the slate just and, and, and lay down just for her, or if she's going to have somebody from the left like an Elizabeth Warren that's going to you know really ask a, have a good hearty debate here in Georgia uh, with the Democrat Party. Well, you know, I, and we got we got about one minute left, but I want you to okay, well, comment. My, on that. my my answer to that is that there may be, but I just think Hillary out front so far solidifying the money that I don't see how somebody else can mount a truly well-funded campaign um, on the Democrat side for president. Well, and and that's kind of what I'm looking at. I don't. I here's a two year out prediction. I don't think Georgia is going to be very competitive in 2016. I think whoever wins the Republican nomination, I don't see the Democrats really spending a ton of money here. I think they they they're gonna they feel shorted from this last performance, and I don't think things are going to change in the, within the next two years. Maybe maybe eight years from now it'll be competitive, but for right now, I see the Republican winning the uh, presidential seat in Georgia by a hefty margin. Joe, anyway, I wanted to make sure everybody was invited out. Joe's last meeting as the Cobb YR chair tonight in uh, Johnny McCracken's in Marietta. And uh, Cobb is better off for your last two years. And I look forward to working with you on some uh, some new projects coming up, Joe. All right, man. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. All, right. Later, bye. All right. And we appreciate you guys listening to Greg's List. As always, we'll see you next week on AmericasWebRadio.com. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.